Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here, and I'm truly honored to bring to you this next master's interview. In 2013, I had the opportunity to sit down with the amazing Gary Sinise and find out how this talented actor and musician became one of the country's most passionate advocates for veterans, wounded heroes, and first responders. I am such a fan of this amazing, humble man, and I know you too will feel his kindness through this interview. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, please take a minute to share it with your friends and be sure to sign up for our mailing list on www.masterspodcastclub.com so you'll hear about the latest podcasts and other news. Now, please enjoy this interview with Gary Sinise. Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here. And, uh, I just have to say right off the bat that I've done more preparation for this interview than any interview I've done in 18 years. I've lost more sleep over this interview than any interview I've done in 18 years. I've got sheets and sheets of uh, paper here to prepare me, but I've also never been more honored than to be sitting with the incredible, beautiful man that I'm with right now. Uh, welcome, Gary Sinise, to Masters. Thank you so much, Wynn. It's great to be here. Thank you. What a what a kind, generous man you are to open up your your uh, vacation home to me to be able to come down here and interrupt uh, your wonderful time with your wife uh, to be able to do this interview. I, I love the format of this because it's first of all, it's audio, it's not video, so you and I can look the way we look. <laughs> all, all casual here. Let's not talk about that. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing is, I think that this will go places. People can pop this CD in and listen to their car. They can listen to it while they're at the gym. They can play this in staff meetings. They can listen to it on their computer. But it's going to have a life all of its own for people to learn about the great works that you do and through the Gary Sinise Foundation and the other organizations that you're involved in. And uh, Thank you. I'm Thank honored. You. Thank you. So I'm also going to be emotional through this. So just you know, bear with me through that. The excuse that I give people is that my daughter is 18 months old, and so I'm still uh, hormonal from her birth. So we'll just say <laughs> that. I remember. And, and, you, and you have a daughter, Sophia, as well. Uh, I have two, yeah. But mine are a wee bit older than yours, right. uh, 24 and 21. And then I have a son who's 22 as well. And uh, your daughter, Sophia, is a hairdresser. She is. She's a graduate of the Paul Mitchell School. Which is great, and now she's working, and it's it's terrific. It's always good to have kids that grow up and work, right? <laughs> I, I'm very proud of her. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Well, everybody knows you from your your TV work. Um, I can't believe it's been 20 years since Forrest Gump. Yes, yeah, we were shooting that right now, uh, 20 years ago, and then it came out. So in September of 93 we were shooting we began shooting and then it came out in july of 94 hmm. so uh, it's uh, the 20th anniversary is coming up pretty soon and then apollo 13 another one of my favorite favorite movies i did that one i think right after forrest gump ron howard was casting that movie when forrest gump came out well uh, you're a, a golden globe and emmy award-winning actor but i have to read this because uh Again, we know you through your acting and your movie roles and your celebrity, but the reason why we're here today is because of the incredible work that you do with military families. And so, and I, I'm going to read this because I want to get it right. Uh, Gary Sinise serves as a spokesperson for both the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Foundation and Disabled American Veterans. 
and was instrumental in raising funds for the Pentagon Memorial in Washington, the Brooklyn Wall of Remembrance in New York City. You serve as an executive counsel for the Medal of Honor Foundation and the USO, advisory board member for Hope for the Warriors in recognition of your humanitarian work. Gary Sinise has received, on behalf of the troops and veterans, uh, many distinguished awards, including the Bob Hope Award for Excellence in Entertainment from the Medal of Honor Society, the Spirit of the USO Award, the Ellis Island Medal of Honor, and in 2008, recipient of the Presidential's Citizen Medal. I mean, this list goes on and on. To, to hear this, in addition to the awards that you've received as an actor, does one way <laughs> more and have more impact on you, on your, on your heart, on your soul, than the other? Um, you know, uh, you work hard, and uh, so many people work very, very hard and do great things, and they're never recognized, you know, for it. Uh, to be recognized for it from time to time for doing what you love to do is that's like icing on the cake, and it's very humbling, and and you know we all just do our job and go out there and do our work and we don't do it for for those reasons but of course you know it's nice that the work is recognized the thing about what i do on the military front is i part of what i i do and i'm able to bring to the men and women that serve our country and have sacrificed for our country is awareness of what they go through because i am in the public eye so if i'm recognized for doing something on behalf of the men and women to me it's shining a light on me so that i can help shine a light on on them and uh, i want the american public to know what they're going through and to be aware of things and to think a little bit more about that and if you're out there serving our country and and you're in a trench and you're getting blown up and sometimes People don't even know that you're going through those things, and you have to go through the difficult challenges of the residual effects of those types of things for the rest of your life. If someone or some organization can help support that and shine a light on it to help your life be a little bit more you know, joyful as you go on from the, the battle wounds of war, then that's a way that I can you know, serve, and I feel that's a reward in itself. I remember hearing you speak where, I can't remember what it was for, but you were being honored and you were being called a hero, and it was probably because of movie role. And yet, in your mind, what you were saying was, wait a minute, you're, you're honoring me as a hero. You know, that, I mean, I know a, a lot of extraordinary people who've done very heroic things in their lives. They inspire me. I, I'm an actor. I go out there and play parts and, and uh, learn lines. And sometimes the days are long and sometimes they're tough. But, you know, then I get to dust myself off at the end of the day and take a nice shower and have a nice meal and go on with life. Uh, you know, the men and women who serve our country and sacrifice our first responders, the people that go into harm's way on a daily basis, they have a they have a difficult job, you know. Our police officers who who wants to drive around in a car all night long and it'll just what do you do? You're looking for trouble, you know. Mm -hmm. Bad guys uh, going off to war is a difficult challenge, obviously. And uh, you know our first responders on the on the fire uh, front where they run into buildings, you know, to try to get people out. Uh, that's that's heroic stuff, you know. In California, I mean these massive massive giant 
fires for miles and miles and miles with thousands of firefighters out there sweating and living out there and you know they're just trying to put out the fire and th- mm. those are those are real real heroic actions to me what i do is just simply try to shine a light on on people that don't get a, a lot of uh, publicity for what they do what do you think it was about your uh, lieutenant dan character and forrest gump that people resonated so much with that especially in the military community well in, in the military community i think that was an an interesting one because lieutenant dan was a vietnam veteran and, and we remember you and i remember quite well what happened to our vietnam veterans when they came home from war it was a terrible period in our history where the country was divided and people and the vietnam veterans got the you know the brunt of the blame for everything and they had to go into hiding they had to you know i mean it was terribly tragic we had over 300,000 wounded in that 10 years of war 300,000 we lost 58,000 uh on the battlefield and then you go off to war you serve your country and you come home and your country spits on you that's pretty bad so literally yeah literally uh and even worse from some of the friends I've I've talked to about what happened when they got off the plane so I was motivated a lot by the Vietnam veterans that I know, and I found that uh, Vietnam veterans really responded to that role. And then beyond that, just veterans who were injured in battle mm-hmm. uh, and lost, you know, had catastrophic injuries, responded to the role. And as time went on and we started deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan and we started getting, you know, having, you know, men and women come back injured and, you know, catastrophically injured, uh, the more I found that they seemed to relate to that character. I'd walk into a hospital room and somebody look at me and say, hey, Lieutenant Dan, look at me. And and there they are missing their legs for real. And mm-hmm. you know what the role did? It, it was kind of a door opener for me. I could I could easily walk into a room. Somebody might not even know who I am, what my real name is, but they would recognize me from the film because so many people have seen the film. And it began a dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, they automatically thought, you know, if you're laying in a hospital bed and missing your legs, that I understood what they were going through just simply because I, I played the part. I never could have predicted at that time that it would lead into, you know, a full-time commitment to our disabled and wounded veterans and be so much a part of my life. At the time, I really wanted to play it because I had known so many Vietnam veterans but did I know that it was going to take on this life beyond the movie role, the funny guy in the movie that Lieutenant Dan was and the sort of heartbreaking aspect of it? No, I didn't know that. And, mm. you know, so be it. I, I accepted that uh, a long time ago that the movie role was a little bit bigger than just a part. Um, which I want to get back to that other role that you've taken on. But today there, the country is divided with what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, and yet, what? Why is it different today that when our our heroes come home, our military personnel come home, they are welcomed, they are embraced differently than than after the Vietnam War? What, well, what, what, I, th- I think changed? we we still have our anti-military folks. They're never right. going to like military. They don't don't understand it. They think. Anybody who goes into the military does it because they can't do anything else and stuff like that. that I thought that of, was about hairdressing. They, be, <laughs> they, they go into hairdressing that they can't do anything. <laughs> no, so, well... Then, I guess we all get that, right? We all get that. They certainly get that. And it still exists, you know, when you think, you know, there are still people that are kind of ignorant about what uh, 
what a military person actually is, what motivates them and everything. Mm -hmm. So we still have that, but there is a big difference because we did learn some hard lessons from Vietnam about how not to treat the warrior, the the defender. And after September 11th, you know, we saw what happened when, you know, motivated and committed terrorists with box cutters got on on a plane and what how much damage they could do with a simple box cutter. And it's a scary world out there. And I think people recognize that it is a scary world, that we need a strong defense. Uh, If the United States doesn't have the best equipped, best trained, strongest military in the world, then that means someone else will. Mm -hmm. And the other powers that are vying for that spot are powers that we don't want we don't want them to have the, the strongest most devoted uh, you know force in the world so i think people recognize that we we have to stand behind our men and women who serve whether you like the reasons that they're going to war or not i think we learned those lessons in vietnam thankfully and uh, you know that's something that i try to just highlight and and promote you know nobody likes war nobody wants to send the men and women to war. But every president, if you look at our history, whether Democrat or Republican, has sent the men and women into arms way at mm-hmm. some point. And that's just a fact that we live in. And so we have to keep these, these people strong. We have to do what I, we can to, to let them know that we appreciate uh, the freedom that they provide. And you're going to educate us about that because I have a lot of questions about what what more we can do. You said that you walk into a hospital room and maybe they don't know the name Gary Sinise, but they know the name <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, which you've like turned that into a whole big campaign for <laughs> people now know you as a musician as well because of what you've done with the Lieutenant Dan band, which didn't exist really. You, you played around with some friends, but you didn't really create a band called Lieutenant Band to go out there and do performances. Uh, no, no. I mean, I... I... Back in the late 90s, I started playing again. I played as a kid. I played all the way up into my early 20s. You played the bass, right? I was, yeah, bass and guitar, and I was in bands through high school and everything and into, into my early 20s. And then I got so busy with my theater company. I started a theater company in Chicago, Steppenwolf, with my pals there. Mm-hmm. And we got so busy with that that I just didn't play for a long time. Till the mm-hmm. late 90s, I picked it up again. And then after September 11th, I just I knew there was a role for me to to play in supporting our men and women. So I volunteered to start visiting uh, them overseas in Iraq, Afghanistan, around the world with the USO, and I'd shake hands, take pictures. I volunteered. I heard you begged to to be able to to do these USO tours. <laughs> I I think at the time, remember, I wasn't uh, I wasn't on CSI New York at that time. So, and I had only done you know. I'd done some pretty big movies, but I wasn't a big star or anything like that. So I remember calling the USO several times and and leaving messages. And I don't think they actually knew who I was until I said, I'm the guy that played Lieutenant Dan. And then they kind of got it. And I said I wanted to go out and support our men and women and do some tours. So I would just go out and take pictures with them and sit and eat and chat with them and visit and eventually, uh, the USO allowed me to take my musician pals with me. And it was really a ragtag sort of garage band uh, effort at that point. But I called it Lieutenant Dan uh, Band. And um, 
I had partnered up with some of my Chicago pals. One guy, Kimo Williams, was a Chicago composer, and he brought in some other local musicians that he knew. And uh, I started setting up tours with the USO, and we started going. We're in our 10th year now. And I realized because I, wherever I was going in the military, they were calling me Lieutenant Dan. You know, mm-hmm. so I just said when when I started taking the band, uh, we need a name, and we're going to call it Gary Sinise and the Lieutenant Dan Band. And and ten years later, we played all over the world several times and uh, done hundreds and hundreds of shows, and we continue to this day. I, I leave tomorrow to go do another one in New York. I hear you're doing like forty or fifty concerts a year. It's between 40 and 50. It has averaged out to that somewhere and you know around 40, Now, are those 40 those now. those are all to raise money, correct? Or or some of them are just to go for morale purposes to go and sit with the troops and meet with the military personnel, correct? Yeah, all the USO shows would be in the spirit of Bob Hope. You go and the great entertainers who have entertained uh, over the years. You go and you play for the troops wherever it is. And we played in Afghanistan, Guantanamo Bay, uh, Germany, Italy, uh, you name it. We've been all over the world, Asia, uh, and all around this country on military bases. And I've, I've averaged about 12 USO shows a year. I, I think I've done, since 2003, I've, the band has probably done 150 USO oh shows. Just USO shows. And then... It's it's always been a non for profit effort for me. I've mm-hmm. I've donated my time. In the beginning, I donated my personal money to be able to go out and do it. Then we were able to create some other sponsorships, and now through my foundation, ways to fund, you know, all the troop support. But it's a non profit part of my foundation. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Dan Ban is a program part of my foundation to serve and honor and entertain military veterans. Uh, raise money for our wounded, first responder events, and occasionally, probably, you know, maybe f- six or seven of those shows out of the 45 will be corporate-sponsored shows where we actually make my corporate rate, which is substantially more than whatever I might charge a charity or have to break even on a charity or something mm-hmm. like that. And the money from the corporate rate goes back into the fund, and it helps support the charitable donations of the band. So it's really, uh, you know, I donate all my time and uh, never made any money on it. It's all part of the mission of the Gary Sinise Foundation and Gary Sinise personally to go out there and do what I can to support our men and women. We've we've been, we've beat up this military in the last dozen years, and and they need some help. I went to your, uh, to the website, Gary Sinise Foundation, and just did the USO tours, and it just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled all the appearances <laughs> that the that you've made, that the band has made. It was just it was incredible. Yeah, there's a whole series of uh, USO shows, which is you know, like I said, upwards of 150, and then there's another just uh, big history of just appearances and charity concerts and that kind of thing. So. It's been, uh, you know, it's been great. I mean, we've we've raised a lot of money, and I've just been out there helping a lot of different charities. And now, now I have my own charity, and other folks like Paul Mitchell School and and great, you know, companies and everything are recognizing some of the work that I've been involved in over the years. And 
and wanting to support that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful to everybody who supported. You mentioned that with your first visits or, and still you wanted to go and, and meet with the the military personnel meet with the troops and have a conversation with them and sit and talk with them and, and which i know just had a huge impact for them and people listening to this thinking well gosh if i was famous like gary sinise of course i would go do that too i would i, I would have an impact to be able to use my my celebrity power to make a difference but you don't have to have a celebrity power to to make a difference can you give a challenge or a call to action about that? Oh, absolutely. In in communities all over this country, you have military families, somebody who's got a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, brother, a sister serving in in, uh, the military uh, and maybe has sacrificed, maybe have gold star families. They've lost a son or a daughter, mom or dad. You've, You've got wounded. So I always encourage people. They say, you know, well, what national organizations can I support? Well, support the Gary Sinise Foundation for sure. But also look within your own communities and find out, are there veterans here who need help? Are there, you know, you you might have veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, who have incredible stories Mm -hmm. of things that they have survived and things they did in their lives that nobody in town knows about because those those folks just don't reveal that part of themselves Mm -hmm. very easily. And I'm sure, you know, all across this country there are people with amazing stories of heroism and sacrifice in defense of freedom that people don't even know about. So I always encourage people locally. It starts local, Mm. you know, help within your own communities. There are, yeah, there are big national organizations you can send in a check or something like that. But if you want to put your hands on the problem, and I go all over the country meeting the people that need the help, I want them to know that I'm personally involved in this. If you want to put your hands on somebody who might need some help, who sacrificed a lot for our country, look Look in your own town at the the veterans who might be there and see if they need help. I love that message because it's, it's it's always that people say, "Gosh, I would love to jump on a plane and go feed the hungry orphans in Africa." Well, what about the hungry in your own backyard? I'd love to go do a USO tour. Well, what about the veterans in your own backyard? What about the military personnel who are coming home now and they have specific needs? What are you doing about that? And I th- I think that's how we meet the challenge of the yeah. problem. You know, the VA is this big bureaucracy. It's good. Sure, it helps a lot of people. But then you always hear about the people that are just backlogged and don't get the assistance they need because there's too much there. So what about just looking and looking for the veterans in your, you know, there's a local VFW. I remember in my little town, we had the local VFW. It was all the veterans of foreign wars. And I always wondered as a little kid, like, who's in there? You know, they had, a, they had an old antique cannon outside the place, you know. They, remember those places? And I always wondered, like, who's in those VFWs, you know. But I never wondered enough to go inside and, mm. and ask as a kid. And now as a, you know, as a grown-up who's very focused on our military and stuff, I, I look at that. And there's old veterans in there who have incredible stories, who did incredible things, who survived just unimaginable things that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at, I'm involved with the Medal of Honor Society and every one of those heroes has just an incredible story of survival and sacrifice. And usually, you know, you receive the Medal of Honor, either you get killed trying to help somebody and save somebody, or you survive trying to help and save somebody. And I, incredible stories, and there are veterans all around this country who have those stories who might need some help. 
My father was a, a veteran from World War II. He was a torpedoes man on a, on a destroyer. And you're right. He's not forthcoming with the stories, but if you sit and talk and ask him, he can't remember what he ate for breakfast, but he can relate story after story and, and the sacrifices and vividly, what he went through. Sure. Vividly. Vividly. I'm sure. And, well, certainly World War II. I mean, when you look at the magnitude and the massiveness of what was going on at that time, you know, we look at the challenges and the dangers of the world today and everything like that. But I, I narrated a uh, piece on the History Channel called uh, World War II in HD. Hmm. And it was a really comprehensive look at how much destruction was going on at that time in the world. Just unimaginable death and destruction going on 60 80 million people killed mass entire cities just gone into rubble islands you know thousands dead on the beaches of Iwo Jima and Okinawa and Guadalcanal and these places like that just unimaginable things and people survived those things well we have a new generation of heroes today who have gone through just so much death and destruction. We've deployed this military over and over and over and over again. Sometimes, you know, seven, eight, nine deployments through the past dozen years. If you have a little child, that mom or dad may have been gone almost the entire childhood of their kid because of the wars and the nature of the wars. So while they're not on the front pages all the time anymore because and we still do have you know several thousand in Afghanistan and they are still getting hurt and they're still getting killed there are stories that need to be told and there are men and women who need help so in your educated and experienced opinion what can we do the the soldiers who fought back then in World War II and in Vietnam they still have needs today what can we do today and then we're going to get into the Gary Sinise Foundation and the incredible work that you're doing with building these smart homes and for these wounded warriors. Well, you know, uh, having Vietnam veteran friends, you know, you know, this war today has been something, it's been a new mission for a lot of our Vietnam veterans. So many of them remember what it was like to come home from war. I had a, a buddy of mine tell me that he got off the plane feeling great to be home, so happy to be home. You know, a lot of, you know, he lost buddies over there, some terrible, terrible stuff, but great to be back in the U.S. of A. And he's walking in his uniform, and somebody threw a bag of crap at him. And there he is standing after a year-long tour, losing buddies with a bag of crap, you know, human waste on his uniform. Hmm. That's what he got. Well, that was his welcome home. Hmm. Well... For many of our Vietnam veterans today, a new mission for them has been to make sure that our Iraq and Afghanistan veterans get the welcome home that they deserve, they get the support they deserve, and that they know they're appreciated. And I've met hundreds, if not thousands, of Vietnam veterans across the country in the Patriot Guard and some other organizations who look for the returning veterans, who go to the hospitals to see the wounded, who make sure that their experience in Vietnam and what happened to them when they came home, because they know what war is like, mm-hmm. that our men and women today are taken care of. That's a, a new mission for us. Did you see that, that news better. story? And, and well, I'm trying to track this guy down because there's a lot of us that want to donate to him, but he, he has thousands and thousands of flags 
And wherever he hears about a military a funeral, he will line the roads yeah. for sometimes <clears throat> miles with these thousands of flags. He's just doing it out of his own pocket and getting volunteers and people. Did you see that? And has, has been doing it. Has been doing it for several years. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen that story. I can't remember his name, but I, I'm very aware. I, I may have even sent in a little donation to him or something like that myself. Uh, but. People like that yeah. are taking up the charge. They don't want what happened to our Vietnam veterans to happen to today's veteran. They they want the return home that uh, our World War II veterans got. And, you know, there were World War II veterans that had, you know, they had a slow boat home. So they had a month-long transition from their war, and it was a hellish war. Sometimes, I mean, in, in that war, you left and you came back when it was over. It wasn't a year-long tour, but they had a, a you know they had a month to transition on the boat to get home. My uncle told me about returning home from World War II and coming into New York Harbor and seeing the Statue of Liberty, like so many of us have heard, and just everybody on that. Just imagine, you know, after seeing so many people get killed and such devastation and horror, knowing that here you are, tyranny was defeated, freedom won, freedom survived, and here you are coming in, pulling in after a month-long boat ride home and seeing the Statue of Liberty. Just imagine a young guy. My uncle was 24 years old when that happened. Imagine thousands of guys on that ship just staring at the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty coming into, into New York Harbor. I mean, after all that war and all that devastation, just so so moving. I saw the film that you did. Uh, was it Uncle Buck? Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack. And that's my Uncle Jack that oh, I was just ta- talking about. That was great. 30 missions he survived over, um, over Europe as a B-17 navigator, and he saw a lot of planes go down around him. I mean, they would send thousands of planes because a bunch of them were going to get shot down. Mm-hmm. And you, every time you went up, you wondered, well, I've, every time I go up, I see guys go down in flames. Is it going to be me today? Yeah. How do we teach the youth of today? I remember um, kind of a harsh reality a couple of years ago. I posted uh, a tribute to my father, for his service, I posted on my Facebook page and I got one negative comment about it, like, which just was like, what? Like it was, I just never imagined that somebody would send something ugly and nasty to me um, because of me honoring my father, a veteran. Mm. And it was just this harsh wake up call to me, like, wow, there's people who really believe that. And yet we enjoy, you know, the freedoms that we have and because of the sacrifice of those heroes in the past. How do you educate that I don't youth think, of America? I don't think we teach that, you know. Um, I work with the Medal of Honor Foundation and we have a great program called the Character Development Program. And, and Medal of Honor recipients will go into schools and talk about character and sacrifice and service and all these things that are kind of important to them. They don't necessarily go in and just tell war stories and right. stuff like that. But they talk about what means something to them. You know, They go off to war, they have the American flag as a symbol to them of home and country and 
they see it flying over a battlefield or something like that that has been devastated by you know a, a battle the night before that means something that gets them through and the character development program through the Medal of Honor Foundation wants to promote character integrity patriotism uh, service sacrifice real real sacrifice service above self all those things that we don't really teach in our schools so what the foundation is trying to do, the society is trying to get that character development program into schools where teachers would actually use that character development program to talk about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, you'd be, I don't know, maybe, maybe you wouldn't be shocked uh, at how hard it is to get schools to recognize that that stuff is important to teach. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, in World War II, there was no question it was very clear. It was a battle between imperialism, tyranny, oppression, or freedom. There was two. There was one was going to win. Thankfully, freedom won, and that was very clear, and everybody knew it. And there was kind of a a gratitude toward our veterans at that time because everyone had somebody right. overseas. Today, it's not true. We have a real disconnect between the average American and its military. It's just a small, small percentage of our citizens serve in the military or know somebody that serves in the military. Mm-hmm. So there's a disconnect between what the military does. You know, you know, we all felt our backs against the wall when uh, we were attacked on September 11th. People got scared, and all of a sudden anthrax is floating through the mail. Now we're, what's going on, you know? Uh, are we going to be attacked again? Suicide bombers are blown, killing civilians on our soil, thousands of them at once. People were scared. People were nervous. People wanted something to be done, you know, with our military. But, you know, time passes and people get complacent again and, and they don't think about it until the next time. The, the backs are against the wall and who's going to do something about it? It's going to be the the U.S. military. And that's our young sons and daughters. If it's not your son or my son, it's somebody else's son or daughter. You know? I was just in uh, Ontario, here in California, and I noticed that every lamppost had a banner featuring a different military person from their community. Fantastic. Uh, Somebody who'd been lost? No, somebody who's currently serving. Serving. Yeah. Well, that's that's terrific. just so wonderful. That's terrific. That's like, you know, it's like the yellow ribbon, yeah. you know, in a way. I mean, you're, you're not in name only. You're not just uh, volunteering your time and showing up here and there uh, because it looks good for your celebrity, you know, for your future movie roles. You know, you're, you started a foundation, the Gary Sinise Foundation, which, again, to put your name on a foundation, is it's, your name's on the line here. You've really got to perform and, and deliver, both financially as well as... And to run a nonprofit, you know, all eyes are on you. How much of the money is really actually going to where it needs to go? And I understand the nonprofit world from that perspective, too. But then also to be able to deliver the services that, that you do, which is phenomenal. Can you talk about the Gary Sinise Foundation? And I know that things changed for you not that you weren't heavily involved because you were prior to september 11th but things changed for you after september 11th and you got even more serious and more committed and then started the foundation Uh, i i did 
you know, I was involved in Vietnam veterans groups in the 80s. And then after Forrest Gump, I uh, had uh, some associations with our disabled veterans because I played one and I got involved with the DAV. That's when I got involved with the disabled American veterans. But then it was September 11th that was a catalyst to a whole other level of service. And I was scared. I was devastated by that. And and then I just volunteered right away to do something and started going to visit our service members in Iraq and, and overseas just to say thank you, just to make sure that they knew that there were appreciative people back home thinking about them. And that, and, you know, my Vietnam relatives and friends' experiences of returning home from war, being off at war, were a big catalyst for that. So I wanted to do what I can. I just the thought of our returning service members who were getting killed, they were getting hurt, and I was reading it in the paper all the time. Coming home uh, to an ungrateful nation was was troubling to me, so I volunteered and started doing that. And then I started meeting all kinds of incredible people. Just I had never been as actively involved in the military as I <laughs> am now, or or first responders. But I started uh, getting involved with all kinds of things and meeting extraordinary people. On my first trip to Iraq, I met a guy named John Vigiano. John is a former Marine and highly decorated retired firefighter in New York City. He had a son who was a firefighter and a son who was a police officer, both killed when the towers came down. He spent weeks down there himself digging through the rubble, trying to find his sons, as so many people were doing. And he wanted to go, as a former Marine and a a person who had lost something personally and lost friends and everything on September 11th, he wanted to go over to Iraq and thank our servicemen and women over there. So he was on this first big, giant USO tour that I was on in uh, June of 2003. And I sat down next to him, and we just started talking. And John didn't know who I was. I mean, I don't know if he saw Forrest Gump or saw any of the movies or not. This was prior to CSI New York. So he didn't really know who I was. And I just said, introduced myself, said, hi, I'm Gary. I want, you know, I'm going over to see the troops. And you know, he started telling me his story. He gave me a FDNY hat that I wore when I was over there on that trip, and a button that had a picture of his two sons. And he told me his story. And he also, on that trip, we just became fast friends. And on that trip, he said, uh, have you ever been to a firehouse, you know, for lunch or dinner or anything like that? And so he invited me to come to the firehouse that lost six guys, including one of his sons, in Brooklyn. And I went... Uh, when, you know, shortly after getting back from Iraq, I think it, in the fall of 2003, I went at, maybe after I went back to Iraq again in November of 2003. I was doing a lot of tours at that time, but somewhere right around in there, I went and uh, John set up, you know, meet and greet for me to come to this firehouse. And I went. I met all these guys. They told me the stories of all the six guys that they'd lost at that particular firehouse. I had a great dinner with them. I became fast friends with a whole bunch of them. And then I started just doing things, whatever I could, to support what they needed. Uh, There's a thing called the Fire Family Transport Foundation. I just bought them a van so they could help drive sick firefighters to the hospital and 
I remember sending a a golfing. I said, "You guys, you know, what do you do here when you're not training?" And they said, "Well, we just sit around and watch TV and stuff." So I bought them a like a net where they could hit golf balls into the net in the in the thing. And I just started doing stuff for these guys because I they needed some support. You know, they'd lost a lot of people on that day. They 343 firefighters and all these police officers and 416 first responders in New York. And I ended up helping to raise money to build a memorial there, the Brooklyn Wall of Remembrance, right. which is a memorial that honors all these firefighters. And that was a real catalyst. That was a real motivator for me to just continue to stay involved and meeting these extraordinary people who had done extraordinary things, who were selfless people, who now so many of these firefighters from New York City are putting all their efforts into supporting our wounded and helping our wounded. One of the foundations I'm in partnership with is called the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation. That's named after Stephen Siller, a firefighter who was killed on 9-11. And we partnered up with them, and we're building homes for a lot of our very severely wounded. Uh, I go tomorrow, and, uh, and I play a concert for this thing called the Tunnel to Towers Run. Stephen uh, was off work that day, Stephen Siller, and he heard about the fire and the crash in the, at the Trade Center. He drove into his firehouse everybody was gone they were all at the site so he grabbed all his stuff threw it in his truck and tried to get through the tunnel with all his equipment tunnel was jammed with cars nobody was moving so he picked up 75 80 pounds of stuff and ran through the tunnel and he was killed when he got to the site and uh, a, a year later his, his family started a foundation in his name and they decided let's have a run and let's run through the tunnel like Stephen did and it's about a three-and-a-half to four-mile run. And now they get twenty-five to 30,000 people running through that tunnel in the same way that Stephen did. And it all raises money for the Tunnel of Towers Foundation. And they are our partners, Gary Sinise Foundation's partners, to support our wounded and help our military men and women who have responded to 9-11. They're the ones that went off to war in response to what happened on September 11th. And now we're trying to get back to them. So you, um, sorry. Yeah, it's, I go tomorrow, uh, when to, I'll play a concert. The run is on Sunday and I'll play a concert. Everybody runs through the tunnel and you got guys that come from all over the world. There'll be firefighters from Australia that will come to New York with all their gear and they'll run with all their gear like Stephen did through the tunnel. And then they all come to just at the base, you know, the new Freedom Tower that's mm -hmm. come, going up. Well, right two blocks away, and you can see it right here from the stage. We set up a stage in the street, and I play a big concert for everybody that runs through the, through the tunnel. Wow. It, it's a magnificent event. You know, when people run out of the tunnel, everybody runs out of the tunnel, lining the street on both sides of the street are firefighters, each with a picture of one of the fallen firefighters around their chest and it's like a banner with the picture on it and they're lining the street so you run through that tunnel you come out and there's all these faces of everybody all the firefighters who were lost on either side of you as you run through the tunnel toward the finish line it's it's magnificent mm -hmm. it's, it's exceptional and i met you know i've just met extraordinary people who have motivated me over and over and over and and uh you know, why would somebody like me spend all his free time 
doing that if I wasn't getting something spiritually rewarding out of it, if I didn't feel that God has sort of called me to do something and use what I've been given to, to do something with it. Hmm. The thing I like about that is it not only is raising money for the work that needs to be done, but it also keeps the memory alive. It, we, we can't forget. And sometimes that's what's so devastating and why we fall back to the old ways and uh, the old thinking is we forget. And and we do that. That's mm-hmm. It's human nature as time yeah. goes on to just put things behind you. Even people that are affected by it who for a time were very, very focused on a particular day every year or everything, maybe it even gets too difficult. They want to move on from it and they stop thinking about it. And I don't think... You know, I mean, when you let your guard down, that's when you get spanked. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got to remember what happens when we let our guard down, and, and we did at that time. So the Gary Sinise Foundation, I, I know you do a lot of things. Um, one of the things that you do is you build these, what is called a smart home. Can you talk about that? Well, if you're a triple or a quadruple amputee who lost multiple limbs in a, in a bombing or something, you're going to have some special challenges uh, for the rest of your life in how you live and how just your daily activities. So to have a home environment that at least is allows you to be as independent as possible, to be as free as possible, to be less dependent on a caregiver, a, a wife or a mother or a father or a spouse or something, it, it gives you an opportunity to you know to make life more manageable. So we try to put this smart technology into these homes. Let's say you have, uh, well, in Staten Island, for example, we built our first home in Staten Island for the first surviving quadruple amputee, lost both his arms and both his legs. Young kid. And that's how I partnered up with uh, my firefighter pals in New York to start building homes. Because after I had raised money for the Brooklyn Wall of Remembrance, I was approached by the fire commissioner, Sal Cassano, uh, about getting involved in a home-building project for this quadruple amputee who was from Staten Island. I happened to have met the kid at Walter Reed because I visited the hospital quite often, still do. But I met him, so I knew exactly who he was talking about, and I said, okay, I'm in. I'll do a concert. Let's raise money and build him a special house. Well... Getting back to the smart technology, in Staten Island, you know, land is, you know, you can't just buy a big piece of property. So you you do have to build up. You have to have a multiple-story house. So this particular warrior is confined to a wheelchair. It's very, very difficult for him uh, to put on legs because of the nature of his leg amputation. So he's confined to a wheelchair. Well, we want him to be able to get upstairs, so we got to put an elevator in that house. We want him to to be able to get himself around the house easily, so we make the floors very manageable. We put sensors in the doorways that the lights will come on when that wheelchair goes through the door. He doesn't have to worry about using his prosthetic arm to flick a switch or anything like that. We make it so he can, his, with his prosthetic finger, he can hit an iPad button, and uh, he's sitting in a wheelchair, right? But you have the cupboards up here for the kitchen and all the dishes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can hit an iPad or do something and pop a little thing and the covers will come down right to his level like this. 
Wow. And he can use his prosthetic to kind of get a cup out or whatever. Hmm. Uh, we put this smart technology in the, the, into these homes, you know, toilet seats that are, you know, warm. And, you know, I mean, we, we you know, if you don't have arms, I mean, just think of the daily activities of the things that we do every day, you know, you know, that is going to be challenging. So we, we try to put all kinds of smart technology into the homes to make life more manageable for that wounded warrior. How many of these homes have you built? Well, we have several of our warriors. We have three quadruple amputees that are in their houses now. We have some, you know, other triple amputees and paralyzed guys that are in homes. Uh, so we either have we have twenty six projects going right now, either completed, guys are in the houses, under construction, or in the planning stages. And what I will do is I go out all around the country and do concerts for every one of these guys to raise money and awareness for each one of the warriors that we're trying to build for. I like that you said that you like to do the concert right there in the town where the home is being built because then that brings the community out and that the community can meet the wounded warrior. Yeah. They can, now this wounded warrior has a connection to the community where the home is going to be built and... Yeah, we Talk don't about that. we don't want to just build a house for somebody and then have them disappear and never come out, right. you know. So, I think if they know that the community is supportive, that he's kind of a local hero. You know, hero, somebody who he can go to the restaurant and not and be supported and get a lot of community support. He mm-hmm. can reach out to different people in the community when he needs help with something, you know. And, you have no arms and legs, you know. I mean, there's there's challenges. Right. And you want that support. Uh, he went off to fight for freedom. All the people in that community benefit from the freedom that our defenders provide. And so we're just asking the community to recognize this person is here, and that's where I come in. I can make awareness, you know, create awareness, and then take care of them when we go. I was reading that just one prosthetic limb can be upwards of, you know, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars. So yes, for a triple or a quadruple amputee, uh, just the expenses there. And then I was also trying to do a little bit of research of what does the government provide for them? And I, I'm sure people are assuming, oh, well, if they've lost their limbs in a, in a war defending our country, of course, our country is going to take good care of them for the rest of their lives. And yet what's actually provided for them just falls so short of what their, not just their immediate needs, but their long-term needs for the rest of their lives. You know, we've heard for decades and decades and decades how veterans don't get enough of what they need, right? And look, the Veterans Administration provides a lot of good services around the country, but it, it is a massive bureaucracy. And easily, you can see, when the eye is off the ball, there's going to be a lot of people that fall through the cracks. Uh, we can always do more for our veterans. We're better at it than we were 40 years ago. We can always improve it, and we have to keep fighting to improve it. And that's why you know it's so important to have great veterans advocates out there and, and people that can draw attention to various issues and various things that have fallen through the cracks, you know, advocates, media, whoever. But it's also important that we have these great non-government organizations that aren't tied up in big bureaucratic things that can just see the needs and go to it. If they have the funding and the resources to do it, they can put their hands on particular problems. That's why I support not only my own foundation, but 
other non-government uh, foundations that are focused on veterans as well and trying to, uh, to draw attention to them. Like I said, the Medal of Honor Foundation does a lot of great things. Hope for the Warriors is another good one. Tunnel of Towers Foundation is a great partner of ours. American Airlines does incredible things for our veterans. They support me so, so much. So much of the work I do now with the regularity and commitment could not be done without the support of American Airlines, not in the same way that I do it. I might be able to find other ways to get people around and move things around and, you know, travel here and there. But with the commitment that I have and the consistent, always on the go kind of thing, moving my band from here to there, and there's 16 people plus me in the band, that's a lot of tickets. American Airlines Veterans Initiatives is a big, big supporter. Another big supporter is GE, General Electric. They support my foundation, and I support their work with Get Skills to Work. They're focused on getting 100,000 veterans into manufacturing jobs by 2015. And they have a great program called Get Skills to Work at getskillstowork.org. It's all about retooling you know, somebody's military skills, and they learn great things in the military. But they might not know how to, how to apply those things to s- the civilian sector. So Get Skills to Work kind of retools their military skills into the manufacturing industry. And we all know we need to bring manufacturing back to the United States, and we need skilled workers to do it. Get Skills to Work is a great program. I was actually, I have questions about that, especially cool that GE is doing that. You know, good for them. That's incredible. But I'm going to ask you later on about what other business owners can do, local mm-hmm. businesses, to be able to support and, and help our veterans get to work. And but I want to—you you did a, a concert recently to Lieutenant Dan Band did for Taylor Morris, who's a quadruple amputee. To you're building him a smart home even as we speak, correct? In Cedar Falls, Iowa. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just want to read his story here. So after graduating, this is about Taylor Morris. After graduating from high school in 2007, Taylor joined the Navy and found his passion as an explosive ordnance disposal tech. His job involved defusing bombs, disabling mines, and securing hazardous areas in advance of his fellow troops. In January 2012, Taylor was deployed to Afghanistan. In May, he stepped on an IED and nearly lost his life. Taylor remained conscious through the blast, and though he knew he was bleeding out fast, he called out to his team requesting that no one come to his aid until the area was completely secured. When the area was clear, a medic administered battlefield first aid and saved his life. A few days later, Taylor was transported to Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C., where he survived a four-limb amputation so hard to even read it. Yeah. You know, let alone live it. Yeah. Faced with a brutal situation in which most people would despair, Taylor has met his suffering with hope, humility, and courage. So this is one of the amputees, one of the wounded soldiers that you're supporting. He, he's an amazing young guy. I mean, he's got a great young gal who's been... Danielle. Tot- yeah. Danielle's totally devoted to him. They'll eventually get married, and and, uh, we're building them a house. You know, they're just finding their land, which has to be purchased, obviously. But all the money has been raised for them uh, through uh, a fundraiser that I had in uh, Chicago, and then the concert, and and Veterans United came on board. 
and supporting. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people are trying, you know, our effort is to, you know, uh, attack the very severely wounded issues. We have a lot of wounded. Uh, but we decided, you know, because this began with a quadruple amputee, uh, and then we had another quadruple amputee come in with this, the same injury when I was getting ready for that concert. So I said, let's do another one. And then we had another one, and I said, let's build another one. And, and we just started attacking the quadruple amputees. And then my partners at Tunnel of Towers and I just made a decision that we were going to try to chip away at as many triple amputees and uh, some of the traumatic brain injury uh, cases that we have where you have a, a warrior that isn't capable of taking care of himself. Taylor can put on prosthetic legs and walk, mm-hmm. and he can put on... He usually wears one prosthetic arm that he can do stuff with. He can feed himself and things like that. Things that you don't think about, but just feeding yourself, combing your hair, all that stuff. And he he's a kind of resilient young guy, very strong personality, good, strong character, not really letting it get him down. Some of the other situations are, you know, you have very sad situations where you have somebody who can't take care of himself at all, confined to a wheelchair, traumatic brain injury, his wife or mother or something is going to have to care for him for the rest of his life. We want to make the caregivers as comfortable and, uh, you know, meet the challenges that they have and that they're going to face for the rest of, you know, taking care of the the wounded warrior's life uh, as easy as possible for them. So that smart technology is good. You've got to have a home environment. It also it always starts at home. You know, you have, you're missing limbs and things like that, and you go back to a home that's, you know, maybe cramped and crowded. You can't get your wheelchair around. I mean, it's not going to do anything for your fighting spirit. So we want to give these people a fighting chance to have a happy life and pursue their happiness like all the rest mm-hmm. of us. I get to meet Taylor here in a couple of weeks. We're bringing Taylor in. You know, I heard he was going to come. Yeah. yeah. You know what might be fun? There's a fun little video that you might have seen uh, online called Unstoppable. And uh, it's a sweet video that they put together with some friends. And it just shows his rehabilitation process mm-hmm. and how they work together, he and Danielle, to get through it and everything. It's It can be found on, on YouTube and everything. You might Called Unstoppable. Unstoppable, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, just put in Taylor Morris, Unstoppable. And you'll see it, and it's a very sweet video that really shows his progress and just his fighting spirit and how she's just been with him all the way. I'm glad you brought up the, the you know the caretakers and what they're going through too, because I think Taylor's story is almost just as much about Danielle as it is about what he's going very through. Very much. They're, it's a great love story that they have, you know, and you know they've been making the rounds and telling their story, and I think that's that's important. It's important for our warriors to get out there and tell their stories. Because they can help other people not forget their fellow warriors who are going through similar problems. You mentioned this uh, organization that GE has called GetSkillsToWork.org. Um, so what, what message do you have for business owners about hiring and supporting our service men and women? What would that be? Well, we, we have something like 800,000 veterans that are seeking work employment. They're going to transition from their military life to the civilian workforce, you know. And they've learned discipline, teamwork, all these great things in the military that can be applied to any business, really. 
and they can be, uh, you know, obviously, you know, there are different levels of quality and qualification within the services, but, you know, give our veterans a chance. That's the important thing. We, we have uh, a lot of dedicated people that all they wanted to do, like Lieutenant Dan, was serve in the military, and something might have taken that away from them or... They've, you know, a dozen years of war has been enough and they don't want to deploy again, you know, away from their families. But they never thought about what they were going to necessarily do beyond the military. Well, we can help them with that. And I think, uh, you know, much like uh, when our warriors came home from, from World War II and they had to think about college and jobs and all that stuff, uh, and then all of a sudden there was this massive boom, this great... Uh, development in the United States after World War II. Uh, we can use our veterans and they can help us and we can help them right back by hiring them and teaching them and training them and they can continue serving the United States of America in different ways. I was asked to ask you this question. If you were President of the United States, what announcement would you make on behalf of our servicemen and women? You know, I always talk about the bottom line is freedom. And, you know, when you go to different places around the world and you see a society like Afghanistan or Iraq or uh, even standing on the border of North and South Korea and you're looking north, they don't understand what freedom is up there. They don't know what it is. They're slaves to the supreme ruler up there. When you go around and experience children who who have been under the thumb of a dictator or or an oppressive regime where their military is there to take their freedom away and serve at the whim of the dictator and the master and keep the people oppressed, and then you realize that we don't have that. We have exactly the opposite here. We have a military that serves the people to protect the freedom of the people, to provide the freedom for the people. And we take that totally for granted. We think, we just think, you know, freedom is just there. It's just something that everybody like gets. Oxygen. Yeah, yeah, you're born and you have freedom. Well, just look at the world and the way the world is. That's not the case. There's oppressive, oppressive regimes and dictators all across the globe that are keeping the people down and keeping them in check. And, you know, sad to say and scary to say, but, you know, a few well-placed nukes in the United States somewhere, all of a sudden there's anarchy Mm -hmm. and confusion and fear and we have to have a strong military. And we have to recognize that they are, their job is to provide freedom. That's what they do. And so we have to support them. And we can't take that freedom that they provide for granted. And every place I go, I try to pass that message. Because that person who wrote to you and said, you know, said some crappy thing about your dad, what does that person think? Where does that person think his freedom came from? You know? Years ago, when your dad was serving in World War II, he defeated tyranny with his fellow warriors. And this person that decided to write to you would have a different life if 
Nazism, fascism, imperialism had won in this world. Stalinism. You know, if we'd lost the Cold War, lost World War II, what world would we have right now? I mean, we'd have a different planet. The entire planet would be different without the United States of America being the strongest military power in the world. Is there any doubt that the Nazis or Stalin, uh, Tojo, you know, any of those imperialists, given the nuclear weapon first, what would they have used that nuclear weapon for? Thank God that the United States of America got that weapon before anybody else did, because somebody was going to get that weapon, and we're lucky that it was the United States of America that got that weapon before Stalin, Hitler, or Hirohito, you know. Because we'd all be living in a very, very different world. I'm sure you've seen it, the bumper sticker, I've seen it. I was standing in line behind a Vietnam vet who had it on a on the back of his jacket, his leather jacket on his motorcycle that says, uh, if you can't stand behind our troops, then stand in front of them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, there, there you go. I mean, no, again, nobody likes war, but has the world ever been a pure utopia and a peaceful place where everybody just gets along and shakes hands? No. You know, look at the streets of Chicago, for God's sake. I mean, it's anarchy there. You know, within our own cities, we have these war zones where people are getting innocently killed. You need first responders and you need, you know, those that are willing to go into harm's way to try to keep the bad guys at bay. Yeah. You you mentioned what your commitment and your volunteerism and your involvement does for you spiritually. What life lessons have you learned from these returning service men and women about teamwork, accountability, integrity, trust, patriotism? Selflessness. You know, I mean, look, the military is a big thing. There are some jerks, you know, just like in the, in the hair business and the acting world and every other business. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've got, you've got people that are, you know, greedy and selfish you know, in any field, in any walk of life, and might do some stupid things. You know, the Abu Ghraib incident, for example, you know, when 15 or 16 idiots decided to take those pictures and do all that, they became the face of the United States military. When really they were just a few idiots, you know, when... So many of our other service members were in, in Iraq and Afghanistan doing the hard work and, and providing services and all kinds of things for the Iraqi and Afghan people. They weren't getting the, the attention, you know. It's the negative things that happen. So I've met extraordinary people, and I just try to go out there and talk about them a little bit, try to express myself and... And through personal experience, what I've seen, talk to somebody who might not know anything when they think they do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell them what I've seen and what I've known and what I've experienced within our military. Mm. Look, our military is not, you know, 100% perfect. Things fall through the cracks. People step out of line. All kinds of things happen. But that happens again, like I say, it happens in every sector of life, in every profession, in every business. 
it's just, you know, with our military, you know, the taxpayer pay for that. And, uh, you know, one bad egg can put a face on the entire system. And, you know, the people that are serving honorably, that uh, so many of them that I know, they're always just as angry and just as disappointed at that as anybody else. So I, I just try to tell stories and, and hmm. spread messages. And, and occasionally I uh, do some acting. In between. <laughs> I, I think the best teachers, the best leaders are, are storytellers. And that's what you're doing. I th- I th- well, you learn from experience. You know, mm-hmm. if you have firsthand experience and you can just pass that on, well, okay, you may think you know all this stuff about stuff. Well, let me just tell you a few things that I know. Talk about a few people that I've met that motivate and inspire me. I'm humbled by so many of these folks that I've met. I met, like I said, you know, here's a my friend John, you know, lost two sons on September 11th. He's the most giving and generous guy and you know what john said to me he goes you know more good came out of that terrible attack than bad and here's a guy who lost both his sons but he's met extraordinary wonderful people who have done a lot of great things and took that tragic event and turned it into something positive and made things happen for people that a lot of good does come out of something when our backs are against the wall we press back and we won't you know that's the great thing about uh, the american spirit you know we've been up and we've been down and we've been kicked around and we've kicked some butt and we've <laughs> done some things and uh you know when when chips are down you know people rally you know and uh, look what happened after the boston bombing you know how the country rallied there to these two terrorists uh, that decided to blow up a bunch of people yeah. you know and the country rallied again and said you know here everybody you know focus on boston now mm-hmm. we come around when the chips are down mm-hmm. gary do you have a final message for our listeners i want to read a quote that you said while we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders we can always do a little more i like that well i don't think we ever can do enough because Again, it comes back to the freedom that you have to start your business, you know, from nothing. And why do you have that freedom to do that? Because you live in a country that allows that. There are so many people that don't have those options, you know, around the world. Thank God I was born in the United States, you know. Look, there are plenty of other nice places to live around the world and all that. But I was born in the United States. I'm proud of it. I love my country. And I love what my country has given me, the opportunities that being an American citizen has given to me. And I know that years ago and over the years, you know, many men and women have sacrificed and shed their blood so that this country can uh, remain and will always remain free. If we don't remain free... And we don't have those that are willing to do the hard and heavy lifting to make sure that we keep it that way. I don't think we'd like that world, and I don't think the rest of the world would like it either. One final thought. Remember after September 11th how vulnerable so many countries across the globe felt themselves when the thought of the United States being attacked and possibly 
you know, it's weakened, how many countries across the United States felt this outpouring of empathy and, and support? Why did they feel like that? Because the United States is the leader of free society is in all the world, in all of history. There's never been a military or, or a country with the power that the United States has that has not used it to oppress the people across the centuries. And so all these free societies across the world just felt vulnerable and scared themselves. Oh my gosh, if the United States goes down, you know, what happens to our freedom? What happens to us? So I think, you know, this is a wonderful country. It's, it's a country worth standing up for. It's a, it's a country worth uh, criticizing when, when the government misbehaves and supporting it when it does good things. It's a country that has great citizens who have done great, magnificent things that have benefited all the world. I tend to look at our country as a force for good in the world, and I know that we can't be a force for good without the veterans and the military and the freedom providers that are willing to sacrifice. That's perfect. What a gift. It's a gift to all of us that we get to uh, enjoy you know, the freedoms that we have here. This time with you was a huge gift for me, and I know it is going to be the same for anybody who listens to this, and I'm going to make sure that lots and lots of people do. God bless Thanks, you. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Wynn. Incredible. And thank you for your, uh, your support of my foundation and the work we're trying to do. We're, we're going to keep at it. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Gary. You bet.